Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Isaiah chapter 1, and it's also going to be on the screen here. Isaiah 1. And we'll be in verses uh, 10 through 20. Now we're continuing in our series that we're calling Urban Apologetics. And really the last three weeks, we've been looking at different passages and acts that call us to share our faith and, and help us with contextualizing our faith and help us to try and speak to some of the issues that people might have around us. Well, today we're talking about a different issue, another question that people have, and that is, does... God care about justice? Now, I actually changed it from what's in your bulletin. It says, Don't, does God care about injustice? I changed it to, does God care about justice? To be a little bit more consistent with where I'm going to go. Does God care? And once again, that text is Isaiah 1, um, 10 through 20. And just to set the context in Isaiah. So this is a really the first and second chapter are kind of setting the tone for the whole rest of Isaiah at least the first 39 chapters of it. And God is calling his people to account for things that they have done to not fulfill the covenant that they have with him. And Isaiah is a prophet. And one thing that they talk about prophets, they're what they call covenant mediators. Part of their job is they're sent by God to go and let God's people know when they're not walking in line with that relationship that God has made with them. And so Isaiah comes here, beginning with verse 10, and we're going to hear from 10 through 20. Hear now the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you so much for It's living and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to get beneath the surface with us. And we pray that you would do so in this time that we have together this afternoon. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in all the places where we're gathered. And Lord, we pray that you would move in us. Help us to understand these words that we read. Convict our hearts. Challenge us. Encourage us where we need that. And we pray not only that, but we pray that you would fill us with yourself. Fill us with power. So that when we leave this place, we will walk in a different way than we were when we came. And so all this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Should I switch to this mic? Is this mic okay? We all right? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll continue with this one. You let me know if I, if I should switch. So again, do you remember the question? I said, does God care? You can put up that first picture. Some of you that, that an, an influential person and in part of my life was reading this book by John Perkins. This is like in the early 90s. And this is his autobiography, Let Justice Roll Down. To kind of a crossroads in my life. Anybody been at a crossroads before? Anybody in there today? Thank you. Let me turn this off. I had come to kind of a crossroads in my life. And where I was is I was saying, you know what? It seems to me like sometimes churches are having to choose between either being churches that preach the gospel and, and teach the word of God and disciple people or being churches that care about justice and mercy. Now, now I was wrong because actually there are a lot of churches that care about both. But in my understanding at that time, I was looking and I'm saying it seems like I have to choose between one and the other and we should care about both. And so reading that book was instrumental to me because there was somebody that I saw that was preaching the gospel and caring about justice because Jesus Christ is the Lord of every realm. As we talked about the, the re redemption and reconciliation that he brings touches all the different areas of alienation that we've been impacted by because of sin. And so we've got to care about that. But it seems like this is coming into question again in our own time. Just this, uh, just this week, there were two articles that, that I came across. Um, one of them is by, from a magazine called The Atlantic, and it says, the evangelical church is breaking apart. And in there, there's an author named Michael Emerson. Some of you remember that name. He wrote Divided by Faith, which 20 years ago was a groundbreaking book, and it still is. Kind of looking at, at some of the things that are different, particularly in the black and white Christian communities. And one of the things they quoted Emerson as saying in this article is he said, you know, in the last 25 years, this is the worst it's ever been in terms of seeing the people in the church fighting against each other over these issues. He said, I've never seen anything like that. There's another article I saw. It's by a, a website called Mere Orthodoxy. It says the uh, six-way fracturing of evangelicalism. And in the midst of all of that, what do you think the key issue is? There's, there's not that there's just one, but the primary one seems to be, the primary pattern seems to be disagreement among the people of God over this question, does God care about justice? 
And what follows with that is what should God's people do about that? Now, maybe you're here and you're like, come on, man, I'm at New City. Of course I care about that. That's why I'm here in the first place. But maybe we need to look at this so that you can answer because maybe you have an experience like I had. Maybe this about five or six years ago, I was preaching a message and I was, this is the very first time in my life I ever heard of critical race theory. And, and where I heard of it is somebody accused me of preaching it in my message. And, I, and I, he said, you're moving away from the gospel, not at this church, because we weren't here five years ago. He says, you're moving away from the gospel, you're preaching critical race theory. And I said, I am not. What is critical race theory? What are you talking about? And what happened is when you use words like racism and justice and systemic injustice in the midst of a sermon, people are like, oh, no, here we go. You, you're going over to, the, to this sign, and you're, you're not preaching the gospel anymore. And so maybe you've experienced something like that, and so you want to know, does God care about justice from his word? But maybe you're here, maybe you're at home, and maybe you're going, I'm asking that question for different reasons. I'm asking, does God care about justice? Because as I look at the circumstances around me, as I look at the communities around me, as I look at the housing, as I look at the education, as I look at the disparities on all these different lines, as I look at the discrimination and the injustice that I see, I wonder, does God care about justice? And what you're really saying is deeper than that. You're wondering, not only does God care about justice, but do, does God care about me? And does God care about people who look like me? And so we've got to come to his word to find out the answer to that. And it's great news. But we need to be able to go to the word of God to say, well, this is where it comes from. It's not some, from some political ideology. It's from God's word. So does God care about justice? I just want to ask three questions in the message today. And you can put those questions up. Does God care about justice is the first question. And what does God expect of his people is second. And then lastly, how do God's people do justice? So we want to just ask those questions and see if we can answer them from the passage. So first, does God care about justice? And so we start out back in verse 10. And here we are. These are some hard words, right? Did, did you catch that as we were reading it? But one of the beautiful things, as hard as, as they were, is it, it allows us to have the privilege of getting inside and getting to the very heart of God and hearing from God things that are important to him. And so here he comes in verse 10. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, what's unusual about that? God is talking to his people in Judah. And what does he call them? Your people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the way they, they might have stood up and said, hold up, what? What are you saying to us? I want you to imagine the place that you think of that is the vile place ever that you can think of. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah was to those people. And you go back and you read in Genesis 18 and 19 what destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And some of that was because of the abuse and the, the just hor hor horrific things that they wanted to do to the people. And Abraham even pleaded for the city, right? Do you remember that? They destroyed and, and, and God said, 
if there's 50 righteous people in the city, I won't destroy it. And Abraham says, oh, bless you, God. Well, what about 40? Well, God, please have mercy. How about 30? Well, God, since you're being so generous, how about 20? And he got him all the way down to 10. And he said, if there's 10 people, 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. But guess what? It got destroyed. Because there's 10 righteous people, 10 unrighteous people. Excuse me, there weren't 10 righteous people. Confusing myself. It's a good thing it wasn't up to me, right? But it's up to But then what happened? If, if you read in a passage like Ezekiel 16, it tells you that there was a lot more going on than just the sexual dysfunction in that place. Because you read in Ezekiel 16, he says, you know what? Here's the sin of Sodom. The people are prideful, they're greedy, and they disregard the poor. And they disregard the needy. So it's not only their sexual sin, but it was also the way that they treated the poor. And it was their own pride and greed that led to their destruction. So you can imagine their shock when God's people hear this, when God is calling them Sodom and Gomorrah. Now why is he doing that? Verse 11. First he starts to talk about their religious sacrifices. He says, what is it to me, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fat beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of goats. And then verse 13, when you, or verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Verse 13 starts out, bring me no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. So he's talking about their sacrifices first, and then he moves on to talk about their religious meetings. If you go to that next verse, in the second part of verse 13, and beginning of verse 14, it says, New moon and Sabbath, and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Do you hear that? This is God expressing how he feels about these worship meetings that they're having. And then he says, listen to this, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Now this God, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weary. But this is him trying to see how vile these things are to him. And then finally he moves from talking about their ceremonies to even talking about their prayers. Look at verse 15. You spread out your hands. He says, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Good gracious. What in the world is going on? Now put yourself in their shoes. Remember back in verse 12 when God said, who is of you to come and bring this before me? Well, they might have said, well, God, you did. You're the one who told us. These offerings and, and having these things. What are you talking about? Who asked you to do this? Well, the problem isn't with the, the prayers and the religious activities and the ceremony or the, the holidays themselves. The problem is, why, is how they're doing them. If you put up that next verse from Isaiah um, 29. And the Lord said, because... This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But look at this. While their hearts are far from me and their fear or their worship of me is a commandment taught by men. He's saying they're worshiping me outwardly. 
with their actions, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Now, how is it that God knew that their hearts were far from him? At least here in this passage. How did God know that their hearts were far from him? You say, well, he's God, of course. He has like x-ray vision in their heart. True. But what was it that they did? If we go back to verse 15. Put up Isaiah 1, verse 15. Let's read that whole verse again. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why? What gives it away that their hearts are far from God? Your hands are full of what? Blood. And is he talking about the blood of the No. He's talking about the blood of your neighbors. He's saying what gives your heart away is the way that you're treating the people around you. Most vulnerable. If you keep on reading, I don't have this one on there, but in verse 23, you keep on reading in the chapter, it talks about the widow's cause does not come before you. You do not bring justice to the fatherless. And you keep on reading that. And he's talking about the way that they're treating the most vulnerable in their midst. That's a sign that your hearts are not with me. So, and you look at this and you say, wow, this is a passage. You just picked that out to go with your sermon. Well, there was a lot of them I could have picked. Because if you go to Micah chapter 6, right, you remember that? Do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. What happens around that? It's in the context of their false worship that he says that. How about that verse from Amos 5? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-flowing stream. What is he talking about there? In that context of that passage, he's talking about the same thing, their worship, their false worship before him. Because they believe that they can worship God, they can do all the things that God has called them to do in worship, but then mistreat their neighbors, especially the most vulnerable neighbors around them. To not treat them with justice. So I ask you, does God care about justice? Do you remember, even in the verse that we had that, that we had at the very beginning, Kamara, you remember from Psalm 89. What did it say? Righteousness and justice are what? The foundation of God's throne. That's a part of who he is. So does God care about justice? Yes, yes, yes. So application. First is just to sit in that and take that in for a minute. And take that into whatever picture you have of God when you come in here or when you're at home. Whatever you think about God, did you leave this out? That this is what he cares about. And I say to sit with it for a second because what do we do with people that we love, right? Things that are important to them also become important to us. Well, this is something that is important to God. And so that also means it should be important to us. And the other thing that we, should, that we see from that in God's concern about justice is we should praise God because of who he is. Because righteousness and justice are the very foundation of his throne. When we were singing that song a little bit earlier and some of you said deliverer, maybe that brought tears to your eyes. Why? Because you began to think about the times when God had showed up and been a deliverer in your life. 
when you said provider, you remembered how God had made a way out of no way in your life. When you said protector, you remembered that God had you, that the enemy couldn't destroy you, that God was for you. And so who can be against you? You remembered that. And so praise God today because of who he is. But now the second question is, what does God expect of his people? If this is true about God, let's talk about us now, all right? Can we do that? Let's, let's move to us. What do we see here? What is it that God expects from his people? If we go to verse 16, the first thing he does is he calls his people to a change of heart. That's what he's calling them to in this first part of verse 16. It says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. And that's a language, you know what that's describing, that religious word, sometimes we call it repentance. Where we're going this way, and God is saying, now you want to go this way. Instead, wash yourselves. Bring, In other words, bring yourself to me. And let me cleanse you from the inside out. And so the first thing that he's saying is, I want to see a change in your heart. Where you step back and say, wait a minute, God, I've been going the wrong way. I need to go with you. But then not only does he call them to a change of heart, he calls them also to action. And first, in a general sense, if you go again to that next, or you can leave that up, I'm sorry. The next part of that verse, it says, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. And so he's calling us first, you can look inwardly, look at our own actions. Holy Spirit, speak to us, speak to our hearts. Speak to us now. Where do we need to do what he says there? Remove the evil of our deeds from before his eyes. Where do we need to cease to do evil? Where is it for us that we need to learn to do good? That's what he's calling to. Now, what is justice before? Or Let me go to that next part. It says learn to do good. Seek justice. What is justice? If you remember, we talked about this a little bit last year. And what we said, just at its definition, here's the easiest one that I've found. Justice is just giving people what they're due. It's giving people what what they're due. Now, what, what does that mean? We think, all right, justice, that means punishment. Well, sometimes, but that's not, is that true depending on where they live? Is it true anywhere? What about what they look like? What about how they cook their chicken or, or what language they speak or anything like that? Are they still made in the image of God? Are they still made in the image of God? Are you still made in the image of God? Is your neighbor still made in the image of God? So what do you do? What does your neighbor do? What does your enemy do? They're due to be treated with dignity and respect. And when needed, care and protection. Because they're made in the image of God, that's justice. And so when we care for the poor or we write injustices, that's not just being nice. That's being just. It's being just, not just nice. It's being just because it's granting people what they're due in the first place. Now we keep on going. He gets more specific. 
he says there to, to correct oppression. Seek justice. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's cause. If you think about, if you're reading through the scriptures, a lot of times you'll see this quartet. Some people call it the quartet of the vulnerable. Right? You'll see the orphans and the widows. But you'll also see the aliens, the people that are from another place, and the poor. Over and over again, you'll see orphans and widows, aliens and the poor. Orphans, widows, aliens, and the poor. And God's concern for them. Well, what does God expect of his people then? God expects his people to image him, right? And if that's who God cares about, then that's who we care about. If that's who God cares about, that means he cares about you. Maybe you feel like everybody in society passes you over or passes you by or treats you in a certain way. Not God. Not God. You are precious in his sight. Nobody has to give you dignity. You already got it because of how you were made in the image of God. And so what does he expect of his people? You can put up that verse from Deuteronomy. First, it describes the character of God. Look at this. The Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. That is your God. But then look at the verse that comes after that. You can clap at that. That's all right. Amen. Amen, somebody. But I got to hurry up, though. I'm on a time limit now because the children's ministers, they can't let me go long now. Verse 19. Go to the next slide. The verse that comes directly after this says, well, therefore, love the sojourner. Right? Remember what it said about God in the verse before? So now God says, people of God, love the sojourner. Why? Therefore, because you, you that's what you were. When I rescued you from slavery, you should care about those that are marginalized because that's what you were. You should care about those that were poor because that's what you were. You should care about those that don't have anybody else to care for them because that's what you were. And I cared for you. And so you should also. So you say, oh, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, hold on. A couple verses in the New Testament. What about Jesus? What does Jesus say about that? Go to the next slide from Matthew 23. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and and his woes. And look at this one. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe men and deal and commune and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So he's saying tithing, that's good, but, but you'd stop there. There's other things that were even weightier than that. And what does he say is weightier? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. He probably has in mind Micah 6 verse 8, which says, do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And here he says, these are the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. One more, James, Jesus' brother Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so what does God expect from his people? 
the very same thing. If God cares about justice, then he expects his people to care about justice. And what do we see there? First, to examine our own hearts and then to examine our own actions. You say, all right, well, how how do we do that? Well, think about first, who are the most vulnerable among us? Right? I said the four groups among them, right? You got widows and orphans and aliens and the poor. Well, just think about in our own context, who are the most vulnerable here? You might certainly a lot, those same groups, right? The poor, widows, orphans, refugees, young men, young women, older people. You're like, that's everybody, Pastor. Well, (laughs) maybe it is our whole community. Well, that means that God wants us to care about this community. Now, there's an article I read, like, what are, the, what are some of the places, what are some of the things that we need to care about? And there's an article, you can put up that picture, by Richard Rothstein, who wrote The Making of Ferguson. But there's another book called The Color of Law that's actually a book that has a lot of those things in it. But he talks about some of the issues that were in Ferguson, but they're in every community. Or they seem to be in every urban community. He said, these are racially segregated neighborhoods with high poverty and unemployment, poor student achievement in overwhelmingly black schools, oppressive policing, abandoned homes, and community powerlessness. And the article he's saying is that people were surprised that you found all those things in Ferguson because that's actually a suburban community. And what he's saying in there is it's mirroring the very same things that we find in our inner cities. These are the same things that we find right here in the West End. So what does God expect us to do? This, uh, this week I was at a pastor's meeting at Friendly Temple. This is the first time I'd ever been to Friendly Temple. This is amazing. And, and some of this group, it was like eight people. Some of this group that were there, there was a pastor from Friendly, the pastor from Williams Temple right down the street there, but the pastor from Central Press and the pastor from The Crossing and a pastor from uh, One Family Church, which meets right here in the Tivoli. Um, and, there was, and then the, the Catholic Archbishop of St. Louis. We're all in this room at this meeting. And then a guy from the Lutheran Church as well. And, and as we're talking, we, we brought up all of these different issues that are facing our city. And do you know that no, none of us, of all those groups and churches, none of us are doing all those things. None of us are, are addressing all of those different areas. None of us by ourselves. But the thing I was convicted by is as we step back, if you took those, just those eight churches and collectively looked at all the different things that we we're involved in, every single one of those areas was being addressed. And so you say, why are you convicted then? Why I'm convicted was this, is I thought, you know what, sometimes people say, well, the problem is the church isn't doing anything. Well, I don't think that's really the problem. The problem is we're not doing it together. We don't know what each other's doing. And so as we sat in that room, all of those different things were being addressed. If we would just humble ourselves, humble yourself, Pastor Thurman, and work together with these other people, We can address those things. The body of Christ can do that. And so what does God expect of his people? He expects us maybe to have a change of heart towards each other. 
and towards other churches and towards other denominations and change our actions so that we work together to be able to address all of these things. So last thing, how do we do this? How do God's people do justice? A couple things we see in this passage. First, if you go down to verse um, 18, there is a surprising, gracious invitation. You remember what God said about the people back in verse 10? He called them Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't say y'all are like Sodom and Gomorrah. He said y'all are Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at what God says in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. This is an invitation, a gracious invitation, because look at what he says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He's saying, I'm going to take your sin and the guilt of sin away. I'm going to wipe it clean. I've called you Sodom and Gomorrah because that's what you are in your sin. But he says, I'm changing your name. I'm changing who you are because I'm going to wipe all of that away if you would come to me. So people of God, as we think about being a people that do justice, it all starts with accepting this gracious invitation that God gives to come to him and be made clean, to come to him and be made whole, to come have that guilt wiped away. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. And, and we're talking about justice. And you say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done in terms of injustice. Well, look, God says to people he calls Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to wipe away your sin and guilt. How much more will God do that with you, whoever you are, whatever you've done? God is saying, come to me and I will make you clean. But then the other thing he says here, the second thing, is he says, and what I want to phrase this as, is choosing the path of justice. Choosing a path of justice. And I'm going to explain what I mean in a second. If you go to verse 19, he says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten. You see the play on words that he's given there? You're going to eat the good if you do what I said, but if you don't, you're going to be eaten. You shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is one of those passages like you'll see often in the Bible where God is saying you have a choice, right? The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that, right? You, <laughs> you can get the good of the land or you can get eaten. You can choose life or you can choose death. Which one is it? Will you choose the path of justice or will you choose the way of destruction? Why do I call it a path? Of justice. What, what, am I mean, what am I meaning? Well, what, do you, what was he saying to them? I'm not just talking about doing five things that you write down on the application of this sermon, and by next Sunday, we've forgotten what we wrote down anyway. But what I'm talking about, what he's calling them to is to get on a path where justice is a way of life. And for some of us, it might be entering that path for the first time through knowing Jesus Christ at the very beginning. If you look at verse 17, again, back then, 
He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Maybe that's where you start on the path. But then maybe on the path, the next place, you're like, I already know Jesus. But the next part is remove the evil of your deeds. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. And you're like, Pastor, I've been doing that. I'm on this path already. Well, what's the next part in the path? Don't become complacent. We cannot become complacent because of the great things that God has done in our midst over the last 25 plus years. There's still things to do now and there's things ahead of us. What will it mean for us to do what he says here, to seek justice, to correct oppression? What will it mean for us now to bring justice to the fatherless and to plead the widow's case? Oops, what does that look like for us now in this place? Where are you on this path? Are you at the very beginning? Are you a little bit further along? Are you way far along? Wherever you are, wherever we are, what will it mean for you? What will it mean for us to go further on the path? What will it mean for us to walk further on this path of justice? To do this even more, to bring more justice, to care more for the fatherless, to care more for the widow in our midst. What will that look like for us? Now, I really am closing. We got, we got the timing right this time. Because I was just asking them, how do God's people do justice, right? And so what do we do? We, we, we accept that gracious invitation and we get on the path. But you're saying, no, pastor, that's not what I mean. How are we going to do that? Where are we going to get the power to do that? Because look at them, God. Look at them, Thurm. Look at what happened with them. Well, if you look what happened with them, he laid that choice before them, right? What did they choose? <laughs> they refused and they rebelled. And those people ended up in exile. And so they chose the wrong path. And we're no better than they are. And what they show us is that in and of ourselves, we cannot do what God has called us to do. Right? He's called us to do it, but we can't do it by ourselves. So you're like, great, pastor, how am I supposed to do it then? Well, God knew all along that they wouldn't be able to. So a little bit later, he sent Isaiah to tell him a different message. He says, I'm sending somebody. And I'm going to send somebody that people are going to look at. And he's going to be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But he goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray. Just like them in the passage. But God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he's saying to you today, look to the one who took on your sin to be able to take your crimson sin and make it white as snow. Look to the one, even though your sins are like scarlet, who's going to make them like wool. Come to the one who was always willing and obedient. Why? So that you and I could eat at that wonderful banquet of the Lamb. He did that for us. How willing and obedient was he? He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God raised him from the dead, and he intercedes for us now that we might be a people who live like God, who care about justice, not just in the world out there, but on the streets right here.
And so leave resting and running to and rejoicing in the ultimate justice leader, Jesus Christ, the one who will empower us and strengthen us to do what it is that God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you that the answer to that question, do you care about justice? The answer is yes, yes, yes. So what that means is we as your people also need to care about justice, righteousness and justice are the very foundation of your throne. And so being a part of your kingdom, we should care about them, Lord. We thank you that you cared about it so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to suffer the greatest injustice so that we would be able to know you, so that we would be able to be a people for justice in the name of Jesus. So we pray that you would do that, continue to equip and encourage and challenge your people along the path, wherever we are together and individually. Move us along through your spirit and with your power to the next step in that path. We pray you do that for your glory, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening, and God bless.